right, welcome back to another week of the Bills B podcast here. However, you are joining us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. I'm Joe Biscalia. My co-host, as always, is Matthew Fairburn. And we are now, I, I think the Bills are almost two weeks through. We're taping on Thursday, May 30th, around noon. And uh, I think they're they're rounding third on that second week. And um, that means we've been able to watch 33% of those practices. And boy, oh boy, it, it almost like the way that some things are are going overboard a little bit. It almost feels like the season is already here, doesn't it? Yeah, it tends to... I mean, hey, there's nothing else to really pay attention to football-wise, so OTAs can become a bit overblown. Uh, they can be taken for a bit more than they are, but it's really the only you know small bit of evidence we have about where this team stands, where mm-hmm. guys stand on the depth chart, and how some of these guys are performing. But it is still May. There are many months before the season starts. They have not put pads on. So, yeah, it's a little bit early to be getting too, too excited by anything that's happening on the field. But that hasn't stopped anyone before, and it's not stopping anyone now. No, and the the big topic around all of this is, of course, Josh Allen, right? I mean, we've, we've been on a pretty good streak here where Ch- Josh Allen has not been the focal point of our podcasts. And because it's just, in the offseason, it's kind of like, all right, well, Josh Allen's the starting quarterback. There's not really much else to say that to say about that position other than they need to get him some help so now that the team is formed and they have him on the field I guess the the spring monster that is OTAs and sometimes the hype that comes along with it is a a dangerous thing and and look like if you've listened to us for a long time you'll know that we have really been two of the people that have said, all right, Josh Allen, he, he made a legitimate change from the time he started at, in the 2018 season to when he came back from his injury. He looked like a different guy. That said, I mean, I just don't know how uh, how we can go through these OTA practices and and have him do what he's done in those two sessions and think that he's suddenly arrived or or anything along those lines. I, I, I just think there with this time it's very tough to limit yourself, but I think some uh, I think some limitations need to be in order, especially because the wide receivers are not getting uh, checked at the line of scrimmage by the cornerbacks. There's no physicality over the over the line of scrimmage. There's no real threat um, from the defensive line to to get you. So all of these things need to be considered. But to that point, Josh Allen has looked solid. To be truthfully honest, he, he looks the way that he should look at this point in the year. And and so I just don't know that we should necessarily be going overboard. And I know that's not going to be fun to hear for some. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, be pouring cold water over some Bills fans who are quite hot and bothered over what they're reading about their young quarterback because... This time of year, you know, that's what that's all there is really to be excited yeah. about. And with a with a young quarterback in particular, you're looking for any signs that he could be legit. And so, you know, 
if you want to go overboard, go overboard. Get excited. Get you know fired up about this guy because he's probably the most talented quarterback this franchise has had in, I don't know, 15, 20 years. But you might have I, to go back farther. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, I mean, what Drew Bledsoe? Maybe. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It, it's been a long time, so that is worth getting excited about. I just think two things to me is that one, I don't think he's been quite as good as advertised, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or as as it's been stated. Um, he threw three touchdowns and two interceptions in red zone work uh, the other day. And that being on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Well, that's the, fir- the first thing is probably that we should state is that we've seen two out of six practices. Mm-hmm. 33% is a small sample size uh, in terms of getting a full picture of what he's been doing this spring. And these things also don't, as you mentioned, simulate real football all that well um, for any fans that remember Des Lewis and how <laughs> great he was this time of year. But the other thing is that he hasn't been, it's not as if he's just absolute dynamite. He's had some really good moments and he's had some mistakes. I think the, you know, peaks and valleys are starting to shrink a little bit is what I will say. I think his really, really bad moments aren't really there right now. They're, you know, just dumb mistakes or or bad throws, but they're not quite as egregious as they seem to be. But he's also, you know, they're still there. He's still making mistakes, and he's still, you know, working through all this. And it's early, way too early, to say whether he's going to have a huge jump this year or not. Uh, I don't need to remind anybody about Nathan Peterman and how he looked in practice, training camp even, preseason games. So it's just early for me to be sitting here saying that this guy is – the next, you know, the greatest OTA performer ever, because quite frankly, he, he was pretty good on Tuesday. He was, you know, the interception he threw, well, both of them were to Jordan Poyer, uh, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Um, he threw one last week as well when we were out there, but the interception he threw that was intended for Ray Ray McLeod was a pretty risky throw. And a pretty bad throw. Yeah. I mean, same goes for the, the throw to Dawson Knox. I know it slipped through his hands, but he was trying to squeeze that into a high traffic area. But that's also what makes him him. So I, it is. I don't and necessarily I actually, hate him for that. I kind of like seeing it. Yeah. And I think that's more the point is when you're overanalyzing or putting too much stock into everything that's happening on the field, you're going to lose sight of what the spring and even the summer is four, and that's trying to figure out new things and and figuring out where his limits are and getting more comfortable in the the offense. I like to see him try those throws in May mm-hmm. as opposed to October, and that is part of who he is. So that aggressiveness, um, you know, needs to be there at all times of the year. But when you put too much stock into the the results or everything that he's doing and try to predict what's going to happen because of it i think you miss kind of i think there's a reason why they block us out of a lot of these practices because they don't want that type of treatment uh of these guys and it's not to say that you know the what's happening isn't you know is completely irrelevant because Mm -hmm. obviously you want to see what he looks like but i remember this time last year people wondering about patrick mahomes in otas 
it wasn't looking that great. So it's it's hard to. It's funny how that works. I out. don't know that there's a correlation. I guess is my point. It's more about seeing what he's working on, how comfortable he's feeling. There was a a video he did a long interview with Chris Sims, um, in which I thought Josh Allen was pretty candid in terms of some of the the mechanics and the technique that he's been working through. Um, he switched which foot you know was was farther back uh, in his stance, so he changes stance mid season. Um, he's changing how he's going through his progressions. He's trying out different things. Mm-hmm. All that to say, yeah, there's going to be inter- interceptions. There might, there'll be some touchdowns. There'll be some good throws. But he's figuring out what works for him. And so I just think acting as if he's arrived is is premature and, and a little bit unfair to you know the process that he's trying to go through. Yeah, it's unfair to him. Um, and because this is, like, like you said, this is a time for a young quarterback like this or really any quarterback to try stuff out and try and get yourself acclimated, see what your receivers are going to do in that situation because it's a lot more game-like for them than it is for Josh Allen. Because I mean, while he still has to hit them on timing, the receivers have to come down with the ball in traffic and, and there's no, there's no other way to simulate that than to actually do it. And so that part, that part is good. Um, the one interception that he did have on Tuesday was a pretty bad one. And I think it was by in part, uh, due to, he was, I mean, you could, you could tell the way his body language was. He was feeling it out there. Like I remember in seven on sevens, he opened it up with a back shoulder throw to Devin Singletary. And from then on, he, he just felt like he couldn't do anything wrong. And I mean, he, he, you know, just rocketed it one in to Dawson Knox in the end zone. And then uh, and then not too much uh, later, he certainly tried to do it again over the middle of the field to Rayburn McLeod on, on a slant. And it was uh, a dangerous throw to the receiver and easily picked off because he stared him down the whole way. And Jordan Poyer saw it. He's like, okay, thank you. I'll take it. Uh, so that's the stuff he needs to work on. But it's good that he's throwing interceptions this time of year to where he's figuring it out what won't work against a couple of pretty game safeties in Micah Hyde and Jordan Boyer. So I think for him, it's just this week is really just about checking a box more than, or these three weeks is about checking a box more than trying to find a proclamation throughout it all. I mean, he looked solid. He looked like he should have have looked for a second-year quarterback going into his second season with the offense, having a better command of things, and and having some familiar targets to throw to in Robert Foster, Zay Jones, and hell, even to a certain degree, Ray Ray McLeod. But and Jordan Poyer and Jordan and Jordan, Jordan freaking I mean, Poyer. Part of this is that Jordan Poyer he's good continues to look really really good. I know, uh, but I think just checking those boxes, and as long as he doesn't look like a cataclysmic failure in these three four weeks of spring workouts, then you have something to work with. You can't sit there and go, he's arrived. You can't you can't do those things. It, it's just it's a dangerous game to play. And we've fallen prey. Everyone has fallen prey to fool's gold at OTAs and mandatory minicamp before. So we just uh I don't need to tell the podcast listeners, you know who looked pretty good uh-oh. once upon a time. Who's that? This time of year, Blaine Gabbert. Oh Jesus. So Are you starting when the streak? When again? there's no pass. Is that what's rush, happening? It's mid May. No, I mean, you know what's interesting? 
interesting to me about Josh Allen in practice is, and I fall into this category as well, but those of us watching practice, even you know when fans are there in the summer, when was the last time they saw somebody good? In practice, exactly. They don't right. know. I'm what, so glad you they brought don't that up. Know what, so the reason I bring this up is because the one time, you know, obviously the only NFL team I've covered is the Bills, but they had joint practices with the Steelers my first year on the beat, and I remember watching that practice and watching Ben Roethlisberger and thinking, oh, that's what practice is supposed to look like. That's how it's supposed to operate yeah. when you have a franchise quarterback. Throwing with anticipation. You know, just running the offense, <laughs> basically running practice. Right. And Josh Allen is not there yet. But I think there is something to be said about the fact that, you know, does he look good right now? Sure, he looks fine. He doesn't look bad. But it would be interesting to see... You know, and like I said, I can't really do this too, too much, but compare it to, you know, what practice looks like in New England or Pittsburgh or Carolina or any number of places, Los Angeles with with Goff and Rivers, Philadelphia uh, with Carson Wentz. Uh, I know Jeff Howe, uh, who covers the Patriots, charts every single throw from spring all the way through the summer and I'm always struck by how often they're throwing uh, mm-hmm. in New England. I mean, you know, Tom Brady will will get in a ton more throws than we saw, you know, a lot of these guys get in last summer. So that's more to to kind of get a big picture lens and say maybe he looks good, but you know, and this isn't to knock anybody cuz like I said, I I'm in the same boat, but what is there to compare it to? Yeah. EJ Manuel, Nathan Peterman, Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Thad Lewisman. I saw Jerry Sullivan go all the way back to Rob Johnson, uh, who he said was a great practice quarterback. I mean, Jeff Tool. And those are for people who have, can go back a ways. I mean, you know, those of us who, you know, I go back to 2014. Um, you're what, like 2008? 2010. 2010. Yeah. So, you know, all of that to say that even if he looks better in practice than all those guys, all most of those guys sucked. So it doesn't really <laughs> do you much good to say that he's he's better than those guys. And I I think that's part of this that's important. And I mean the other thing too is just the the psychology of it all really fascinates me. The idea that whether it's media or fans or whoever seem people seem to want to. A, be in a rush to decide. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about the rush to confirm whatever opinion you had before he was picked. Mm-hmm. But also there's a rush to decide. Is he good or is he not? When we're not going to know that until, what, maybe mid to end of the season? Maybe not even for sure by the end of year two. Yeah, You know, sometimes it can be murky. So there's a rush in that sense. And there's also this rush to you know, attack anybody who doesn't think he's very good. And I think on both sides, if you already think he's really good or if you already think he sucks, you're probably doing it wrong. Um, but also the there's just a lack of patience when it comes to the position in general. That um, And he isn't a highly touted guy or a universally touted guy the way Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield are. So it creates this weird 
schism among people trying to rush to judgment and be right, plant their flag and then defend their side as aggressively as they can. I usually find that most times when you are dealing with something with as many variables as as that does, being closed-minded to the idea of the other side happening is probably not the best way to go about things. There are exceptions to the rule, but but usually that's that's the case. And and this Josh Allen thing is no different. I mean, to close yourself off to the idea that, hey, maybe he could be good. That's a little foolhardy. Same thing with, oh, he's going to be great. There's no question. I've never seen a guy throw a ball like that. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he could also suck. I mean, right. there, there there are those uh, extremes there. There's a range of outcomes. Oh, yes. And I don't even know that, I mean, I'm sure that everybody in the building is confident that, you know, he's going to be the guy, but. They need to be. But they're not 100%. <laughs> right. You know, and if they are, if they, if they claim that, then I think they're, you know, again, not really going about it the right way. I, and, you know. I hesitate to say like, oh, this is unfair to Josh Allen because when you're a starting quarterback in the NFL, this is what happens. This is what you sign up for. Everything's going to be overanalyzed, but it's more unfair to the the big picture. It's unfair to yourself to like kind of rush into thinking he's arrived or he hasn't. I mean, the the off season is a marathon. You know, the all these practices form kind of you know one you know, cohesive kind of picture of this guy and trying to take snapshots each and every week or each and every throw, you know, is it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's tough to draw any sort of conclusions. I was trying to, I know people like to know how he's doing, um, but it's funny, you know, I was just trying to tweet out things as they were happening. um, And without much input, just, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. And, and there's a lot of people trying to draw conclusions by piecing together tweets of something they didn't see. Mm-hmm. And it's what makes this time of year very strange. Uh, and it's even more strange when there's a quarterback. It's the first time there's been a quarterback who you legitimately think could become a franchise guy going through 100% as the starter. And it's a, it's a different scenario than any other OTA I've been at. I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to think back. How many times that's actually been the case in Buffalo? Where you I mean, knew- probably EJ, right, before 2014, mm, going into his second year. No, because then they brought in Kyle Orton. Yeah, but that wasn't until Late. right before the season started. I wasn't here for OTAs in 2014, I but I imagine he was at least getting the lion's share because he did mostly during training camp. 2013 because was it not. Because it was what, Thad Lewis and Jeff Toole were the only ones. Right. And Dennis Dixon. Yeah, and, and Dennis Dixon. Wow, that's a deep cut. Um, you never forget your first training camp, boys <laughs> and guys. Uh, so in 2013, it was him versus Kevin Cobb versus the mat that took down Kevin Cobb. Uh, really, Fitzpatrick was the only time it was just from, from uh, front front cover to back cover it was it was him at least like in 2014 EJ was so bad in in the summer that the bills were going uh-oh we got to do something and they then, brought in Jordan Palmer that's when who now coaches Josh Allen that's when Kyle Orton was was brought in they're like all right let's see what happens um but not since i mean there was the three man competition uh with Tyrod Taylor in 2017, I I guess 
2017, Tyrod would would be the guy. But even then, people are like, well, look at that Nathan Peterman guy. Let me tell you something about Nathan Peterman. You know what I'll be interested in with Josh Allen in part of this summer is how he looks by mid-August in commanding things the way that that you, that, uh, you alluded to that uh, Ben Roethlisberger did in Pittsburgh and comparing it to how Cam Newton does it in Carolina. Right. I think that will be a... Uh, and perhaps he'll watch Cam Newton and try and learn some things if he's this sponge, which um, the Bills believe that he is, the way that he kind of learned from Derek Anderson through something as simple as walkthroughs last year. Uh, you know, I just wonder how he looks then. I think it's tough at this point, especially because, I mean, late in the year last year was really the only time where he came back and he was the guy. Um and he started improving, and people started believing in him a little bit more. Having the offseason and going through the the calling tour of the free agents and, and all the rookies and trying to get everyone on the same page and, and acting the part. I mean, this is really the first time he's had the, the full gamut going, okay, this is, this is how we're going to run things. This is how I want to run things. Because he's still trying to figure that out too. And that's, that's fine. That's perfectly normal for a young quarterback to do. I just I want to see how that progresses by by mid-August once uh, things start to get a little bit more serious and the season is right around the corner. I will say that one thing that really stuck out, you know, yet Tuesday is when we're out there. I think Tuesday, not yesterday. Um, they were doing fringe red zone work, which is just outside, probably right around the twenty-five, between the twenty-five and thirty on most plays, and. I think, and uh, Eric Turner from Cover One was pointing this out on on Twitter as well, the idea of that being the area of the field where arm strength is most valuable. And that was pretty obvious because a 25 to 30-yard field feels a lot smaller with Josh Allen at quarterback than it did even with Tyrod Taylor, Mm -hmm. um, who I wouldn't consider a weak-armed quarterback. He just doesn't drive the ball. The way that Josh Allen, he does. also doesn't choose to use it. That right, it, he 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 doesn't throw with the same velocity or fire it into the same windows, um, particularly over the middle of the field. But he was making a you know twenty. It makes a twenty-five to thirty-yard field look more like a fifteen-yard field to a normal quarterback. The way that he throws the ball, and that was probably you know the most impressive thing about watching him on Tuesdays, just he's getting a little bit more confident with his arm. I mean, he always knew he had it and, you know, was would do the stupid confident stuff like throwing it 60 yards or scrambling around and trying to whip it down the field. But it's more the confidence that he knows what he's seeing, the command and, you know, belief in his arm to try to peg it in there. Mm-hmm. And not in an unsure way, in an unscheduled way. And, you know, that really can be a weapon in the red zone. And you, I think the red zone was a pretty tough area for him last year, other than the fact that he ran the ball in uh, once in a while. And it's a tough area for any young quarterback. So, you know, to see some growth there, I, I think is, you know, an encouraging part of, of what he's doing. And, and like I said, his Practices have not been without encouraging signs. Uh, I don't want to be a complete wet blanket, but it's two practices in the spring. So 
um, once we're watching every day and we get to kind of yeah. go through the ebbs and flows, um, it'll be a little bit easier to paint a picture of what he's doing. But right now it's simply tough. For all we know, he went out and threw five interceptions the next day at practice. Yep. I don't believe he did, but, you know, that's what you miss when you only get one practice a week. 33% out of the first two weeks, and then we only get 25% out of the, the third week of OTAs. It's not a lot. It's not a lot to, to write home about because you you just simply don't you don't have a complete picture, which is why the mandatory minicamp is going to be the first real time where we can sit there and go, okay, let's kind of gauge where Allen is heading into training camp because you get three straight days. Same thing with like the rotations at different positions, cornerback, the offensive line, whether or not Deion Dawkins is playing anywhere other than left tackle. Like these are all questions that we still have that we can't capably answer because hell, we just don't have that information, or we weren't. Uh, here we go, Doug Whaley, privy to see all those things, and that that changes as as we go along. But uh, until we get to, I believe it's June 11th through the 13th, you know, it's just it's just pretty tough. It's it's pretty t- tough to do all that. So we're not sitting here trying to take away all your your Josh Allen love and joy and things like that. If you like want to be excited, be yeah, excited. Yeah, of course. Why not? I mean, the way he... It's your team. The, yeah, it's your quarterback. Exactly. The way he ended the, the 2018 season is, for a, from a fan perspective, is excitement-worthy because he, he did some things that, you know, other Bills quarterbacks over the past decade have not been able to do. And that, at least at its core, is somewhat of an exciting thing for fans. And for him to be able to build off that and try and get out those mistakes that those uh, those mistakes that he was making in those games and to wonder, hey, maybe once he irons all this out, maybe he might be really good. So, yeah, of course, be excited and, and all that jazz. But I think our, our main thing is just let's just be careful in anointing him just yet. And it, it's... It's certainly not fair to anyone involved because that makes, you know what the, that does? It makes the fall, if there is a fall, that much harder. And so we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, protect you all. We're, we're, we're just, you know, we don't have to go overboard with the OTAs. He it's will fine. either be good or he won't. Yes. And whether he's good or not will have nothing to do with what he did in May. Absolutely right. You won't be sitting well there and... November saying, well, he's two and six, but but we got to factor in that he had a couple good practices in May. We got to factor that in to the whole picture when we're making these decisions. I mean, ultimately, what he does in the fall is what's going to be important. And quite frankly, I don't think there's a, a super strong correlation to being really good in OTAs and being really good. I mean, Tom Brady's not even at OTAs mm-hmm. for, for, you know, so a lot of guys aren't at OTAs right now. A lot of guys choose to work out on their own, but you know, even we're not even able to compare it to, that's why it would almost be interesting to take a lap around the AFC East or maybe the AFC East wouldn't be the best division because <laughs> um, it's two, two other two second extremes, year quarter, two rookies and, or two other second year guys and a, maybe the best to ever do it. But, you know, like we mentioned, Pittsburgh or uh, even Cleveland uh, would be a good gauge because, you know, Baker Mayfield was head and shoulders the best rookie quarterback in the league last year. 
Um, so that's where some of the context I think is missing when there is certainly a value to being there every day and, you know, getting every piece of information that's available to us. But in the concept context of the entire league and the sport, you miss something uh, in that, that respect. You mentioning Baker Mayfield kind of sparked my, uh, my thought process here after Baker is, I know, I know around the country, people would go, oh, Sam Darnold was the second best uh, first-year quarterback last year. Is that closer? Is is Josh Allen closer to Sam Darnold than maybe some are leading on? Because, you know, I've watched maybe four or five of, of Sam Darnold, and, you know, the, the, the second game against the Bills, he was, he was really good, and that... That was a thing. He he was he was a solid player, but I think with um, with Josh Allen and the progress that he showed, I think there's a case to be made that that uh, that gap is is not as significant as some might think it is. I think the gap between Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, assuming that there is one, um, is not nearly as big as the gap between Darnold and Baker Mayfield, um, or Baker Mayfield and the rest of the class at this point. Um, I think after Baker Mayfield, it, it's a legitimate debate. And you could probably even throw Lamar Jackson in there just because he got experience in you know meaningful football. Um, in terms of how he played, uh, he wasn't perfect either. None of the, Even Baker Mayfield wasn't perfect. Um, and Josh Rosen was in a really hard situation to even judge him. So there's still very much a conversation about who the best, you know, quarterback in this class will be. Obviously, there's a lot to be determined in that regard, but I think Baker Mayfield has a pretty good head start. Um, they've built quite an offense around him now, too. So this is going to be a fun season for that whole debate. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe not Baker Mayfield. Maybe you exclude him because he's on a faster track, it seems like. But I think for the rest of these guys – there, it's very much up, up for debate who the the second best quarterback in this class is. I, I wouldn't think you were a homer if you said it were, were Josh Allen, um, but you know in the game that they played head to head, Sam Darnold looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does it in a quieter fashion. I think uh, he's not he's not as polarizing. So there's not as much debate or. Um, overanalyzing and and you know nitpicking everything that he does he's also not as flashy of a runner or or a thrower for that matter and so the way in which he goes about his business is a little quieter but um both those guys win in different ways and you know this season will tell us a lot because both their teams went above and beyond to surround them with talent and make sure they were set up for success yeah so it's i think i think with alan you know he's just i think there are there are legitimate jumps he can still make and that is probably going to bridge the gap a little bit more i think the variance factor is is quite uh relevant here i mean sam darnold even though he makes his fair share of mistakes he um I would I would feel as though that uh, the bust rate 
for Sam Darnold wouldn't quite be as high for for a lot of people as it is for Josh Allen. And some people have already proclaimed him a bust, which is insanity to me. It's like they're they're not really uh they're not really even trying to watch or to see something that, that happened last year. Just go watch watch his first two games and then watch his last two games. And I know his opponents have to be factored into this as well. And what were the opponents playing for at that point in the season? Granted, I, I get that. But if you're if you're looking at those last two games or even the last month and you're thinking to yourself, no, nope, just not seeing it, you're trying too hard. And that's that's part of this too. So it's I mean the guy got better. Young quarterbacks are just toward so the end of the season. It was funny in that video with Chris Sims as well that he mentioned he was, and I quote, crapping his pants. Uh, against the Chargers when they were going with a lot of empty sets and Derwin James was coming off the edge. He didn't really know what he was looking at. He was calling out the wrong protections. Clearly, he got thrown in a little bit earlier than he was ready and said he didn't really feel comfortable until that Houston game, which, as luck would have it, would be the game that he got hurt. Um, but still being able to take that step back and and you know kind of learn from some veteran guys helped him, you know, come back strong in the second half. So, yeah, just as it's probably way too early to say that this guy is it, he's the franchise quarterback, it's also a little bit too early to to say that he's a bust, you know. And, and again, I mean, you look at, you know, I, I believe the other day Zay Jones said that Josh Allen is a franchise quarterback. He did. Which I, was, is, I was there for which that. Which is, you know— he believed it in his heart. Well, that's the thing. Like, He's anytime <laughs> I read a, a, a headline, you know, whether it's Bills related or not, I always like to envision, you know, the opposite. For instance, you know, Brian Dable's showing, you know, growing, confidence in Josh Allen is growing. <laughs> I always like to imagine the opposite. Well, what if he said it wasn't growing? That would, he would be the first yes. to ever publicly admit that. You know, and if Zay Jones is standing there saying, well, I don't think he's a franchise quarterback, he would, what sort of ramifications would that have? You yes. know what I mean? And and again, to the other point, how the hell would he know? There are he doesn't wa- know what one looks like either. He's never played with one. Exactly. There are ways to say negative things without being overtly negative. Right. It's what you don't say. Like, for instance, I don't want to pick on the guy, but... Brian Dable in in his response to how Tyree Jackson was doing. I mean, it was he's a hell of a nice guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's working. He's, he's working, working hard. hard. <laughs> he, he's young. He's raw. All of these things. It's like okay, we can kind of read between the lines there. Like other than if if he doesn't come right and go, you know, I've been really impressed by by what he's been able to do. Like like great, sure that issue that praise on him, but for him to say. Well, you know, he's working hard. Yeah. Not great, Bob. Right. Not great at all. So, so yeah, that I, I agree with you there. Um, I wanted to get into, in the, at the last part of the pod here, uh, your most recent story on Sean McDermott, because I thought that it was uh, fairly revealing about the head coach and, and what um, he... Uh, he values and how he's trying to go about things. And if you guys haven't read it yet, I, I recommend it. And it's one of the times where Sean McDermott was actually like, you know, 
uh, I guess, willing to open up about things. And you know, what, what was your biggest takeaway after sitting down and actually conversing with him about that? Yeah, I think you were there when he was talking about it in Arizona. Yeah, um, I was. I think me, you, and Tim Graham were sitting over at one of the tables at the hotel when he came over and was just making small talk, which is not his strength. Um, but he brought up, you know, how he's been reading a lot, which was kind of interesting. I, I, I don't imagine it makes him unique. Um, I'm sure there are other guys that read, but even when I was talking to Leslie Frazier, he was like, I don't know where he finds the time. Like he's always giving me books and maybe I'll re- pick it up mm-hmm. in the summer, right. you know, when I'm on vacation and I'm bored. But I'm not finding that much time to do it during the season uh, or even the off season for that matter. And, you know, a lot of these books are leadership books or, you know, self-improvement books. One of the ones that popped up was Ego is the Enemy, which is a Ryan Holiday book that has been passed around. Um, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday was sort of how he broke into the NFL's consciousness and you know pete carroll spread that book around ryan holiday actually spoke at the owners meetings but the bigger takeaway and and it's the one that i'll be monitoring more closely is how he evolves as a head coach because you know he's constantly seeking new ideas whether it's in books he went to go visit the penn state wrestling program and he's trying to practice what he preaches, I guess, to some of his guys. And that's, you know, to constantly be trying to improve and make sure that his messages aren't empty. He'll take stuff from books and throw it in team meetings and, you know, find a new way to communicate something. The question will be, you know, he's obviously open to all this new knowledge. He's open to different ideas or different ways to communicate things. How's he going to evolve as a coach? And that's, Mm -hmm. You know, the conversation I had with him and a little bit with Leslie Frazier is kind of like you don't really get to mess up big time as a head coach and then step back, evolve and get another chance. Most of the time you don't get that. Some guys get second chances. Um, Not all of them do. And so this idea that he's willing to learn and evolve on the fly is interesting. Now, is he willing to learn and evolve in terms of adapting how he handles in-game decisions or how aggressive he is on fourth down or philosophies football-wise? I guess we'll see. We haven't seen him under pressure, really, with pressure to win going into a season as much as he'll have this year. The first two years, there wasn't a tremendous amount of that. So Mm -hmm. I guess this idea of a 40-something first-time head coach having probably not a midlife crisis is the wrong word, but more of an awakening to ideas that are out there to the point where the strength staff is sending him stuff. Derek Boyko, who is the head of PR, is sending him articles as he sees them. His neighbor is stuffing books in his mailbox. Like That's kind of a, a funny thing for a head coach, especially when the last head coach was drinking beer in the hot tub after practice. I mean, it's a. <laughs> I saw a you pretty, put that in the note. That a was pretty, that was good. Uh, a pretty, you know, big departure from from what was in there before, and I think it infiltrates the locker room in a lot of ways. We've been joking about the quote wall that 
we've been passing. Uh, you know, he's got a new quote on the screen. We're not supposed to say day. it out loud. Um, <laughs> he's got, you know, the big banner hanging next to the the AFL championships and all that that says on a mission. I mean, as he said, he's got team meetings almost every day. He's got to fill it with a lot of stuff and find ways to not make those stale. And so now as you enter year three, you see, will he actually evolve? You know, is he taking all this information and actually evolving as a coach? It's good to say it in theory and to think it and all of these things. But what do you do when, as uh, as we've referred to him quite often, Richie Incognito says, when it's nut cutting time, what are you doing? Right. Are you still punting from the 40? Are you evolved? But the other thing, too, is making sure your message doesn't get stale uh, and making sure your ideas don't get stale. And that's part of going to Penn State's wrestling team and saying, you know, how the hell have these guys won eight out of the last 10 national titles? Who cares what sport it is? Eight out of 10 national titles, you're doing something right. And you're picking up ideas. And um, so it was interesting. I haven't really had a conversation that productive with Sean McDermott since I've been covering him. He's um, pretty elusive sometimes. Uh, but when it's a topic that he's passionate about, which he's got some narrow passions, but he he's big into them, wrestling and mm-hmm. self-improvement and, you know, this type of talk really gets him, you know, gets him going. So, and similar to, I thought your story with Levi Wallace, he was fairly open in that as well. Yeah, um, he but was. that's sort of a similar topic, you know, a guy that he can reference in team meetings based on what he's gone through and how he's responded. So, you know, obviously the word culture kind of triggers some people, but there's a way to go about it. And, you know, I was, when I was talking to Stephen Hauschka, cause he's got an interesting perspective, not only as a, fellow nerd, um, you know, in terms of being thirsty for knowledge, but a guy that worked under Pete Carroll in Seattle. Um, and Pete Carroll had, uh, you know, like a performance coach there. He brought in um, the the author of uh, the book Grit. Um, I forget her name. Angela Duckworth, maybe. That sounds um, right. And, you know, there's similarities to how those guys operate and when you have 90 guys on your roster 53 or 63 during the season if you count the practice squad it makes that culture aspect and culture maybe is the wrong word because it does tend to trigger some emotions and some people who don't believe in in that stuff maybe it's the the wrong phrase to use because uh it's become cliche and kind of a catch-all but this team building, you know, philosophy and this, it's all part of coaching. It's all part of getting the most out of these guys. And I was also just interested in picking his brain on the type of books he reads. Yes. Maybe he had some good recommendations. (laughs) Right, Um, exactly. And, you know, some of them are probably pretty dry for most people out there, but books like Ego is the Enemy and Obstacle is the Way are books that I've read or, you know, I've come across, um, you know, and when I'm, I'm looking for books. So, there's a, a crossover there, and and a book actually helped uh, helped him get Brandon Bean in town. He sent him the cover of Chase the Lion. Some subtitle is like if your dream isn't big enough, you know, your or if your dream doesn't scare you, you need a new dream or right. something. And um, so this is has been part of all those buzzwords and boring press conferences. There's a little bit of a method to the madness. Sure. 
And what's funny was he, at the combine, do you remember when he was talking about the Super Bowl off to the side when he was talking to us? Or maybe you were, you had already talked to him. So it was a few of us writers yeah. who were talking to him. And he was talking about watching the Super Bowl. And I asked him, you know, how do you keep track of, I'm like, how do you watch? Like, you know, and he's like, I got to watch by myself and I got to take notes and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how do you, you know, afterwards, I'm like, how do you take notes? He's like, well, I've got the, you know, notes app on my iPhone, like the yellow sticky note app. And then I, I'll email myself and then I'll write it down on my computer. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, you know, you could use the OneNote app. You can download it on your phone and it'll just sync up. I was like, I know you guys all use those Microsoft Surface stuff. And so I asked him the other day, I was like, how do you, how do you organize all your thoughts on these books? He's like, and he, he probably forgot the conversation we had because he was like, oh, have you ever used this OneNote app? It syncs right <laughs> up to my app. I'm like, oh, yeah, no shit. <laughs> but... It's funny, he's got an assistant filing, you know, stuff. Oh, this would be good for this topic in team meetings. This would be good for that. I mean, on top of everything else that comes with being a head coach. Right. My favorite comment on the story was, sounds like he's not working hard enough. They didn't pay you to be a librarian. And I was like... Oh, yes. I was like a PFT commenter. Tweet. Was that right <laughs> in the comments at The Athletic? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It wasn't even on Twitter. No. See, usually, usually the comments uh, on the stories in The Athletic are a little bit more sophisticated, but... Wow, well, I did appreciate that yeah. because it, I, I would have laughed at it. I, I laughed, but it was a it was a fun conversation, um, one that uh, I was looking forward to having, and it did not disappoint. He seemed legitimately interested in the, yeah in the subject matter. Absolutely, I mean, you weren't trying to ask him about his game plan against the Patriots, so he right. he was going to be a little bit more open about that. And you know, for what it's worth, and this could just be because it's the off season or because. You know, they just came from a non-pressurized season. But I've almost felt like McDermott has been a little bit more... He hasn't been as on edge this for for a few months now. And, you know, I, I, I wonder how much of that changes once we get closer and once, you know, they get to training camp, actually, and uh, things aren't going his way, whether it be injuries or, you know, some... Some people ask him some questions he doesn't like or things like that. But why the hell did you punt from the forty? We don't have to ask him those questions this time of year, so yeah. it's a little bit yeah easier. Yeah, yeah, I'll be interested to see how it evolves, and it's interesting getting to this point with a coach. This is the longest I've covered a coach since I've covered this team, which is wild since you've been here since the start of Marone, right? Was that it? No, the I was second here, year, the second Marone, year, I'm sorry, twenty fourteen, the almost two years of Rex, and now. Is that right? Almost two years two, of Rex. Almost two years of Rex. A week of Anthony Lynn. And <laughs> two years of McDermott. So this will be the third year. Yeah. So now that once you get to know a guy, you can pick up on more of how he's feeling in those press conferences and thro- throughout the ebbs and flows of a season. Those Mondays can grind on, on those guys. And so, you know, we'll see how how he handles it but you're right he has been a bit more um you know laid back uh and engaging um which he makes an effort to during the season but let's face it i mean yeah you know the hours and the stresses of the job particularly this year i think will be a bit more intense than they have been and you know what's funny you you brought up like how this is the first time you've had You've been covering a team that has had a head coach for a third season. 
when Eric Wood was back in town after his announcement uh, that he was going to be the the color guy for the Bills radio broadcasts, he was on the field, and I was chatting with him a little bit, and then he's just like, "Yeah, man, I uh, I had seven head coaches in full when I was with the Bills, and he was drafted in two thousand nine, I believe, in the first he round. Played nine years, right? So Dick Duran, Perry Fuel, for I think two weeks, uh, Chan Gailey for three years." And that was his only three-year head coach. Then it was Marone for two. Which would have been your only. Were you there for that whole time? Uh, yeah, I was there for the whole the whole Chan era. So if McDermott makes it to year four, it'll be the longest you've ever covered. You got it, yeah. And I think he probably will make it to year four the way that uh, they they seem to like him and like the Well, they just progress. let him redesign the building with all these signs. <laughs> right. You can't just, you know... It's a lot of money to redecorate. I mean, I think you have to consider the redecorating fee in terms of his stability. Smart move on his part. With all due respect to the the huge ass Vince Lombardi trophies that Marone put up in in the field house his year, I think this is a little different. I mean, I'm sure those cost a pretty penny, but uh, you know, a a million plus million uh, renovation of the entire weight room facility. Yeah. Did they put a final number on what that cost? Because I think it was in the mil- tens of millions. I would think it's way more than that. Yeah. I think one of those think cryo like chambers costs almost a million dollars. No way, really? I think one of those cryo chambers costs like half a mil. I could oh be God. talking out of my ass. Not yeah. like not like I own a cryo chamber, but I know how much you get paid. That yeah, <laughs> I know I know you're you're dealing with cryo chambers and stuff like that. Eh, maybe <laughs> more like a hundred thousand. <laughs> Although it depends what kind they got. Just like keep some going of these with the can be really freaking expensive. So yeah, I'm guessing that that cost, yeah, well north of ten million. This is more than just uh, now. It wasn't yeah. like it's not as if you can't move on from McDermott. It's not as if the next coach would be like, oh no, I don't want this. Nope, change everything. <laughs> Let's go back to that old grimy weight room. Although some old school football guys might say this is too nice. We need. We need a grittier weight room. <laughs> put him, put him in the visitors' get locker room at, hot, yeah, at the stadium. Hot yoga stuff. We need <laughs> cold yoga. <laughs> DDP yoga. Put him in a freezer. Uh, all right. I think we've expired. Um, okay, so uh, next week the Bills will have another week of OTAs. I believe they have four practices that week. That that will wrap up the OTAs. We'll be able to get to see uh, one of them which will be on Tuesday, uh, let's see, Tuesday, June 4th. So that will be, uh, we'll we'll speak with you either the day after or a couple days after that, just like we did this week. A cryo chamber can cost up to $600,000, so it wasn't totally off base. I mean, you are are $400,000 off, I'm guessing if you're the Bills, you're probably springing for the $600,000 cryo chamber. I would assume so. And they've got, like, what, six of them at half a mil each? They have six? Maybe not six. I don't know. I'm guessing. You can't just have one or well, two. Well, this is, this right? is a billion-dollar organization. You've got 53 so people on your roster. What if a couple guys want to get a freeze on at the same time, you know? <laughs> what if they You they can't have, put two guys in one cryo chamber. What if, well, that would be awkward. Uh, what if they have freeze meetups, and just, just a group of guys who just want to go cryo it up? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't blame anyone for that. Like, I, imagine having all that at your disposal. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. It's a. Uh, have you ever done one? No. Nah, me neither. I I would always wonder. Like, is it like a? Is it an experience you just want to 
you just want to keep to yourself? Do you like to chat with people? Like what? What is? It's I, quick, I really... isn't it? Isn't it like a minute? That's it. Am I thinking of that or of the? Uh, I have no idea. There's one that. There's another one where it's it's not long. It's there a are, couple minutes. There are people just... listening to this, like pulling out their hair, and be like, "You guys are morons." I doubt we have too many listeners who are well versed in cryotherapy. I bet you we have at least one, maybe two. Yeah, maybe a couple. Most people are probably like us, wondering what the hell it even is. <laughs> How long do you stay in a How cryo chamber, and can it be a social experience? I think it can be social. Anything can be social if you want it to. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's like the sauna. The sauna is a social experience for a lot of people. Well, just go over to the LA Fitness near the McKinley Mall and sometimes... you'll find some people very, very willing to chat in you the sauna. You mean the ones who want to be in there for seven hours? Pretty much. Yeah. The old guys who think that, and sorry if I'm triggering anybody with this. But oh, you definitely the are. The old guys who think that sitting in the sauna <laughs> is getting a workout. Not that sitting in the sauna is not good for you. It's one of my favorite activities, but it's hardly a substitute for a workout. But some some people think it is, and more power to them. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, on the sauna cryo chamber note, we will talk to you next week. It's been fun, y'all. Don't go overboard with Josh Allen, but you can still be excited. That's the takeaway. And also read. Reading is fun as well. All right. Thank you, Matthew Fairburn. My name is Joe Biscaglio. We will speak with you uh, sometime after the third week of OTAs next week. See you then.